And to have this time of fellowship and and companionship together today, Lord. Uh, Today we bring before you this message and the congregation. We pray that you would bless the message. Let it be your words that come out out of my mouth today, Lord. Please keep me from adding to it or subtracting to it from the scriptures, Lord. Uh, Please bless the congregation, bless their hearts and prepare their hearts to learn from your word and apply the lessons that you've prepared for us in this message, Lord. We present all of these things to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we are looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Now I have titled this message, Shine Like Stars. Now before we get into the passage today, I am going to briefly outline to you some of the context in which the message does come today. Now at this point in the epistle, Paul has already given his introduction to the church at Philippi and he has expressed the uncontained joy he has when he considers the believers at Philippi. He desires to be with the believers but he's unable to do so. Instead, Paul prays that their love would grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, Paul being unable to spend time with the brethren explains that he's being held in Rome under house arrest by the palace guard in chains. Now, in these dire circumstances that he finds himself in, he's not upset, he's rejoicing. But he's rejoicing because he knows that God has placed him there for the glory of Christ to be an effective witness for the gospel. Now, he rejoices knowing that Christ is still being preached, despite there being some individuals out there who are using his circumstances for their own benefit, Christ is still being preached. And he rejoices because it is the legitimate Christ that they are preaching. Now, the very last thing Paul has written in the epistle before our message today is how he desires to leave his life here on earth and to be with God in eternal glory but he knows that he has not finished the work that God has set out for him to do. Paul knows that he is needed to be a source of encouragement for the brethren, especially at that time there was persecution in the church and the believers were greatly distressed at Paul's predicament. I have said previously that Paul is a champion of the faith and when a champion suffers in any game that you watch, when a champion suffers it can be hugely discouraging, you think your team's going to lose. Paul knew his presence would encourage the brethren and that is the work that God had set aside for Paul to do at this stage. Now, if you read the book of Philippians, then hopefully you'll start to see a bit of a pattern in the epistle. The book has strong themes of unity within the church, unity with our Lord Jesus Christ and the ultimate joy this unity should bring to us. Now, in the first half of chapter 2 in Philippians, we see Paul giving instruction to the church at Philippi about living a life worthy of the gospel. Now, specifically, this worthiness or Christian living, Christian conduct, this should reflect Christ. When he was obedient to the Father, when he died on that cross, he was obedient. We also need to be obedient in our conduct. That is what it is to live a life worthy of the gospel. If we are not obedient to God, then we cannot call our lives worthy of this gospel. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the passage that we're going to go through today, first two verses, we're actually going to go into a little bit deeper into Christian living, Christian conduct, how we should live our lives as we attempt to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, I've titled this section, Working Out Your Salvation. 
Paul links this working out of our salvation to obedience and God actively working in our lives to fulfil his good purpose. From there we will go on to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Now in this section we unpack how we are to live without grumbling or arguing and furthermore we are to hold dearly to the word of life. I have titled this section of the message, Blameless and Pure. This will separate us from the rest of the world which is described as a warped and crooked generation and make us stand out and shine in this world. From there, we'll move into the last point of the message. It'll be Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. Now, this section talks about Paul's satisfaction, his joy with the church at Philippi. Even if it kills him, he has joy. We learn the value of joy and why we should rejoice as God's people. This section is called Rejoice. Now, without further ado, let's move into the first point of the message today, and that is working out our salvation. This is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, and I'll read it. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Now, in these verses, Paul introduces the text with the outstanding example of obedience demonstrated by the believers at Philippi. The believers at Philippi, it's the nicest letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote, in my honest opinion. Paul has heard and can see the outstanding example of obedience these believers have. We're going to look at the obedience that these believers had and reflect on the kind of obedience that we should have as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned a bit earlier, in the previous verses before today's passage, Paul spends time teaching the Philippians how they are to have the same mindset as Christ. Now, Paul was teaching that Christ, being in nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something used for his own benefit. But rather, Christ came to earth in the form of a lowly servant, in human likeness, and Christ did this because he was obedient to the Father. Because of his obedience to the Father, the Father exalted him and gave him all power and all authority. Now, that example, that is the same mindset that we are to have. We need to be obedient to God's laws, statutes, his decrees. If we are not obedient to God, then we are in sin. If we're in sin, we need to repent. If we are in unrepentant sin then we really need to question whether or not we are true believers in the first place. Now we get into the verses, verses 12 and 13, that we just read. In these verses, Paul gives us further instruction or teaching. Paul is commending the brethren on their obedience. Remember, Christ was obedient. We need to have the same mindset as Christ and the same obedience as Christ. These believers have been extraordinary in their obedience, both in Paul's presence and also in his absence. Again, Paul's presence would be a huge encouragement to the believers at Philippi, but they also need to stand on their own two feet and serve God faithfully as a demonstration of their faith to the rest of the world. Now, I can testify, and I'm sure many other leaders can testify, um, 
when, when you've been spending time teaching someone, raising them up, building them up in the scriptures, it is a great joy to see them stand on their own two feet. It's, I've specifically seen this in the context of youth groups. It is a huge joy when you see little kids start to learn their scriptures and to start quoting scripture to you and start asking questions about the scripture. They are starting to stand on their own two feet. Now, if you follow the pattern, they should then in turn invite their friends and the cycle repeats itself. You invite your friends, you teach, and then eventually they'll start to stand on their own two feet as well. Now, when you spend so much time devoting yourself to, to the development of someone in the faith, um, when they do finally start standing on their feet, start preaching and declaring the gospel with vigour, courage and bravery, it's an amazing thing to witness. It is an amazing feeling to know that all your hard work has yielded some results in this person. Now, when we look at what Paul is saying in verse 12a, the first half of verse 12, as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, we can see that Paul is feeling this same sense of, of pride, of, of achievement towards the believers at Philippi. He has spent this time teaching them, educating them, and now they are standing on their own two feet. And that's, that's a real encouragement for him. But now let's look at the second half of verse 12. We can see that despite their wonderful obedience, they still have work to do. They're not perfect, and none of us are. They are to use that wonderful obedience to work out their salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, my experience with people, when they read this verse, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling, my experience is um, people do not understand what this verse means. Either that or they don't take it seriously. It's... um, it's almost as if they're not taking their faith seriously. They claim to be Christian, but they're not pushing themselves to grow and to learn in the faith. They're not working out their salvation with fear or trembling. Now, what we're going to do is to actually break these two words down, to try and understand what the scripture is teaching us. And the first word is fear. We're going to try and understand what fear means. Now, fear is used in this passage, it's used in conjunction with the idea of fear of the Lord. Now, to unpack this for you, I'm going to read some other verses to give us an overarching view of what it is to work out our salvation with fear or to have fear in the Lord. first one I'm going to read is Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people, let all the people of the world revere him. Second one, the Psalm, 100, Psalm 40, verse 3. Sorry. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Now Psalm 33 teaches us that that to fear the Lord is to actually stand in awe of the living God that we serve. He is mighty. He is holy. He deserves to be revered. He can crush anything. He is powerful. If we are not serious with how we treat God... And that's in prayer, that's in reading the scriptures, that's in how we live our lives. If we do not respect God, then we do not fear him. If we do not fear him, we do not revere him. 
Psalm 40 teaches us that to fear the Lord is to actually trust him wholeheartedly. This means that even when things are terrifying or tough, we do not abandon the Lord, but we rest in him. The same is also true for when things are going great and amazing. It's not just when things are terrifying that we abandon the Lord, but when things are going great and amazing, we still do not abandon the Lord. We rest in him. Now, if we want a simple understanding of what it is to what it means to fear the Lord, then let us look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 13. <clears throat> and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to serve the Lord's commands, sorry, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, it actually teaches us that to fear the Lord is to actually be obedient to the Lord and to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul. And that is, that very nicely encompasses what it is to have fear for the Lord, to work out our salvation with fear. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, 13. Now let's move into this next word, trembling. Let us talk about the word trembling and what it means. Now, to give a quick illustration of trembling, uh, I know for a fact that there are some people in this room who exercise on a regular basis. And uh, if you've ever been to the gym and you're, uh, you're pumping your muscles up, you're, you're doing the, the chest presses or the bicep curls, you will know that there is a point when you're doing them where your muscle starts to tremble your muscle starts to shake from the strain, from the effort of the exercise. The effort required to finish that exercise, those curls, the effort required gets harder and harder. Have you ever noticed this in yourselves? And if you haven't, talk to someone who exercises regularly. They can tell you. <laughs> now, the notion of trembling in this verse is the attitude that Christians are supposed to have, they're supposed to exhibit as they strive to be more like Christ that is, to be in the, in the image of Christ. It is exactly like I just gave the example in the gym. We, are need, to, we need to be pushing ourselves, trembling our spiritual muscles to grow and to learn in our faith. Our active pursuit should be to seek after the glory of Christ and let his light shine in every aspect of our lives. Now, to reinforce this to you, I bring up to you Philippians 3, chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. It's the same text. Just one chapter later, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Now, the words, here, the, the words here that are used are press on and straining. That's from Philippians 3. They are an example of this trembling that we are supposed to be exhibiting. We will, inev- we will never obtain the full righteousness of Christ this side of heaven. But we need to be constantly striving for it. The effort, the magnitude of our task should make us tremble. 
It should be hard work. And the application for us as we consider the aspect of both fear and trembling is this. This is the question you need to ask yourselves. Are you active in revering God appropriately? Are you active in fearing God appropriately? Are you actively working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Or are you being lazy? If you do not revere God, then you do not fear the Lord. And you are not serious in actively working out your salvation with fear or with trembling. If this is you, I urge you, repent of this stubbornness. Start taking God very seriously. Now, Paul teaches us in these verses that the reason we are to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling is because it is God who works in us to fulfil his good purpose. When we strive to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, God actually uses that work in us to bring, in, to bring us into a greater fulfilment of his eternal purpose for us. When we put in the work, God blesses the work, spiritually. Now, to be clear, God's eternal purpose for us is to bring us, all of us, into a more obedient lifestyle to the will of Jesus Christ. This is so that Christ can be glorified for all eternity. And with that, let's move on to the second point of the message today, blameless and pure. Now, this is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, and I'll read it out to you now. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. Now the first two verses of our reading today, uh, as I said, Paul's teaching us to work out our salvation with fear, with trembling, for God's purpose to be worked out in us. Now Paul is giving us even further instruction on how how we ought to live our lives as godly men and women. The instruction here is that we must do everything, absolutely everything, without grumbling or arguing. Now, there are many ways to grumble and argue in the world. If you looked up the definition of the word grumbling on Google, because I don't have an Oxford dictionary, uh, it actually means to complain with a bad temper. Now, I have personally seen people complain or grumble over the most trivial of things. This leads to arguments and it is, quite frankly, absolutely ridiculous. An example of grumbling or complaints is uh, occasionally I go camping, hunting, and when I get home from, uh, from my time away, uh, my wife can testify that I'm normally quite slow in unpacking my gear. It can normally take me two or three days to... Um, to get everything packed away nicely. Now, I can tell you, without fail, every single time I'll either kick my toe or I'll trip over or something will happen and the immediate thought that springs to my mind is not a very wholesome thought. (laughs) But if I went from that immediate reaction and then I proceeded to complain about the situation... I am in breach of the instruction given in the reading today, the passage. I'm complaining and I'm grumbling and over something so trivial. 
Now, the instruction, do not grumble or argue, it's not just about trivial matters, but it's actually also in regards to much more important matters as well. The book of Philippians has a very strong theme of unity throughout the text. I've said this already. And the instruction here about grumbling and arguing is specifically a warning against grumbling or arguing against fellow believers. Now, I'm sure all of you can think of a time when a brother or sister in the faith has irritated you and you want to tell that person just how foolish they are. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be to the fellow believers, to the brethren, if you were constantly grumbling and arguing against them? I may be a terrible preacher, but don't come tell me. Let the elders do that. <laughs> now, I'm sure if you, part, if you ask the people in the church who have been here for quite a while, uh, you'll identify them with the grey hairs on their head. Um, they could tell you of the instances where brothers and sisters have argued or grumbled and how discouraging and damaging that was to them, but also to the church. Now, to apply this teaching to us, we have to ask ourselves, have we ever complained or had arguments or have grumbled over anything, especially against fellow believers, have we ever done that? If we have, then we are in breach of the instructions given here in this text and we need to repent of this. Instead, we must be very active in being united and having fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the faith. The instruction also applies to brothers and sisters in other denominations as well. It's not just the Baptists who are, who are the, the right ones, uh, sorry to say. But brothers and sisters in other denominations, we must have unity and fellowship with them as well. If they are Bible-believing, we must have unity with them. Now, if you want an example of this, I have plenty of examples of having fellowship with uh, believers in other denominations, so please come speak to me if, you, if you're uncertain what that looks like. I'd be more than happy to give you plenty of examples. Now, the question we have before us now is, why do we need to live our lives without grumbling and arguing over anything? Why? That's the question. Paul tells us the answer to that question in verses 15 and the first half of verse 16 of our reading. I'm going to read it. Verse 15 to 16a. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars as you hold firmly to the word of life. <clears throat> if you look at these verses... There are actually two reasons that Paul has listed here as to why we must stand firm and united with one another and not to argue and grumble against each other but to be united. The first reason is so that we may become pure and blameless without fault in this warped and crooked generation that we are living in. Now, this is important for us to meditate on because from the biblical viewpoint, the world around us is dying and it has become warped, it has been, become crooked and evil, it, is, it has been corrupted. This is why Paul frequently talks about the world being our enemy in, throughout the New Testament, and if you read the New Testament, you would know. I do not need to tell you how the world thrives on chaos and the deliberate obe disobedience to God's will. We've recently celebrated a Pride Month. I don't need to explain just how warped and crooked the generation around us is. If you are currently in school, or even in work, 
you will be constantly warned against bullying and harassment and gossiping. That's because these things are prevalent in every area of life. The world is warped, it's crooked, it is evil, it is corrupted. Now, our conduct must not be a reflection of the world's conduct. We, believers, we have a moral code which we follow. It's found in the scriptures. We have a moral code, it's found in the scriptures and it's brought to life in us through the Holy Spirit when he regenerates us and he enlightens us. If you are behaving and acting like the world, then there's really no reason for us to assume that you're a Christian in the first place. Your, your conduct has to be different. We must be pure, blameless and without fault in this world. Now that's the first reason Paul gives us. Let's now look at the second reason that Paul gives us in that verse. The second reason Paul provides is so that we can shine. Paul uses an interesting illustration here to shine like stars in the sky. And if you remember, that's actually what I've titled the message today, Shine Like Stars. What this actually means is that when we are blameless and pure in our living, then we actually stand apart from the rest of the world. Our conduct reflects the character of God. It is different. It is unique. Now, an example I can give you is uh, a fellow believer in the faith. He uh, used to be an old work colleague of mine. And while we worked together, um, another colleague of ours was a witch. Openly admitted to being a witch, practiced witchcraft, and, yeah, that was quite interesting. Uh, but my, my colleague, the, the Christian, the fellow believer, he repeatedly talked to her about this sinful lifestyle that she was living they would have disagreements that would last days. I've witnessed it. But one day, she said to me, she said to me that this fellow believer is one of the most kindest and respectful people that she has ever come across in her life. They disagree and she respects the disagreement. She, wished, she said to me that she wished every single believer was like that. Not every, they didn't agree. She's, as far as I'm aware, she's not a Christian but he delivered the gospel faithfully and with respect and with kindness. The conduct was different. It was unique. Now, this is a great example to us about shining like stars in the world. He did not compromise, but she saw God's glory shine through him. We are to be different. We are to be set apart from the world and the world is to see us specifically because we are different. Now, when we do stand apart from the world, when we shine like stars, it actually attracts people in. It's like a moth to the flame. It actually attracts people in. You've all heard the words, our conduct, our behaviour is a testimony to the world. The way we behave in this world actually draws people in and gets them curious about Christian living and what Christ actually does for us. Now, I have personally seen the difference between real Christianity and the world. There's a difference. It's a noticeable difference between real Christians and the world. The way we behave is very, very different. It's very noticeable. If we look at the first part of verse 16, we actually will see an application that Paul applies to the Philippians. 
but it's also an application that needs to apply to us as well. As you hold firmly to the word of life, the only way we are going to stand out in this world, shine like stars, is if we hold firmly to the word of life. Now, the words, the word of life given in the scripture. Uh, The word of life given in this passage is actually referencing the scriptures themselves. We need to hold firmly to the scriptures and not stray from the scriptures. They alone are sufficient for our knowledge of God and our salvation. Now, to hold firmly to the word of life is to be put to death, is to put to death the sins in our lives. If we're struggling with sin in any capacity, then we actually have a responsibility to actively fight against it and cut off the life supply of that sin in our lives. I'll I'll personalise this to myself. If we're struggling with sin in the TV, for example, uh, we have a responsibility to be careful and mindful of what we watch from the TV. I personally, I deliberately do not watch sex scenes when it comes to a movie or a show or anything like that. Because when, when I see that, it is a snare for me. My wife can testify that when something like that pops up on the TV, I either hide my face or I run out of the room or I try to distract myself in any other capacity because I'm actively fighting the, the snare that is trying to catch me out. Now, if we're falling into sin because of certain situations, we need to be careful not to put ourselves in that situation. This is what it means for us to hold firmly to the word of life. We cannot just believe in the Christian life. We have to live the Christian life. We need to be active and pursue it. Now let's look at the second half of verse 16. And I'll read it. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. Excuse me. Paul tells us that the reason he is spending this time teaching them to be unified, to have no grumblings or arguments, to be pure and blameless so that they can shine like stars. The reason Paul is doing this is because if he knows that the Philippians uphold his commands, he will be able to boast on the day of Christ. His work was not in vain. His labour, his work was not in vain. His work actually yielded results for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's labouring in this particular verse. It's very similar to the fear and trembling that I was talking about earlier. Paul is trembling and straining to build up the believers at Philippi, to build up the faith of the believers there. This should be the desire of every single one of us present here today, to build each other up in the faith, to, to boost each other. We should hope that our work has not been in vain, has not and that we have served the Lord faithfully. Now, with that in mind, let's move into the third point of the message today, which is rejoice. And this is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, and I'll read it now. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Verse 17, Paul teaches us that even if his life is being poured out and sacrificed for the faith of the Philippians, 
Paul is making clear that whether he lives or dies, it's irrelevant to him, so long as the faith of the Philippians is strengthened and built up. Now, when I was in university, someone told me, I can't remember who, someone told me that there are two types of energy in a relationship. There are those who give in the relationship and there are those who receive in the relationship. An example uh, would be some parents with their children. The parents are giving to their children and the children are receiving from their parents. The children do not give to their parents, the parents give to the children and the children receive. Paul in this verse is demonstrating that he is giving himself to the brethren of believers at Philippi. Like a parent, he is giving to his children, the believers. He is being poured out. But Paul does not feel drained or burned out when he gives himself to the believers. Rather, Paul is encouraged and rejoices. If this builds up the faith of the believers, he's encouraged, he rejoices. The NIV Life Application Bible has a quote on this that I quite like. It says it like this, When you're totally committed to serving Christ, sacrificing to build the faith of others brings a joyous reward. Paul is rejoicing with the Philippians and he's specifically rejoicing because they're growing in their faith. It is amazing how much joy you can receive when you see fellow believers being strong in their faith. It is encouraging and it is nourishing for us to witness. And believe it or not, when we see other believers being built up in their faith, it has a reciprocal effect where it also builds us up as well. It is an absolutely amazing thing to witness. Now, if you know someone in the, who is young in the faith, particularly the older, the older guys, if you see someone who is young in the faith and you see them doing well, they're conquering sin or they're, they're preaching the gospel fearlessly and accurately, it should bring us amazing joy to see them, these young people, standing tall and being strong for the Lord, fully supported by the Lord's commands and his precepts. I encourage all of you, rejoice when you see this. Give thanks to the Lord for his amazing blessings to the believers, to that particular believer who is doing extremely well in their Christian conduct. We also learn something else. From verse 18, we learn something else. At the end of verse 17, we see Paul rejoicing in the faith of the, of the Philippians. But in verse 18, we see that Paul actually instructs the Philippians to also rejoice and give thanks with Paul. Now, this is particularly important for us to meditate on and reflect on because if you guys are anything like me, then you will not celebrate the small victories in our faith, in our Christian living. When we have done something exceptionally well, we just brush it off. There have been times where I personally have done some amazing work for the gospel, for Christ, for the kingdom. But I have neglected to give thanks and to rejoice over my victories of sin, in my victories over sin. However large or small they are, I have neglected to give thanks and rejoice. I am confident that many believers do the same thing. But the problem is, if we do not rejoice, if we do not give thanks for our victories, it makes it that much harder to conquer the same sin down the line. We need to be, when we, when we succeed, when we are victorious, we need to give thanks, we need to praise the Lord. 
Now, it's incredibly, it's incredibly important for us to succeed in our faith, but more so, if you see someone else succeeding in their faith, go, tell them. Tell them they have done an amazing job. Encourage them. Build them up. Rejoice. Give thanks to the Lord together. We need to be building each other up in the faith. Now, it's important that we are firm in our faith for the Lord. Uh, It's important that we celebrate the victories that we achieve and that other fellow believers achieve together so that we can build each other up. It actually gives us a reason to rejoice, to give thanks to the Lord, to build each other up in the faith, to have and encourage fellowship. Now, in the conclusion of the message today, I want to give a brief overview of the points of the message, uh, which will hopefully help you guys to focus in your own Christian living. Now, the three points of the message today were working out, out, working out your salvation, blameless and pure, and rejoice. Now, all three of these points should reflect how we live as Christians. And as the title of the message suggests, we are supposed to shine like stars. Now, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13, we unpack how we should live our lives as we attempt to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Paul links this working out our our salvation to striving hard to be obedient to God and live a holy life. We also learn that God is actively working in our lives, our strivings, our tremblings, and our fear and reverence to fulfil his good purpose in us. Philippians 2, verses 14 16, we learned how we are to live without grumbling or arguing and we are to hold dearly to the word of life. This will separate us from the rest of the world, which is described as a warped and crooked generation. It will make us pure and blameless and it will make us shine like stars in this world. Then we, then we moved on to Philippians 2, verse 17 to 18. We learned about Paul's satisfaction, his joy with the church at Philippi, even if it kills him. We learned the value of joy. We learned that we should be rejoicing with our brothers and sisters who excel in their faith and are standing strong for the Lord. We also learned that when we do well in our own spiritual walk, we must also rejoice and give thanks to the Lord for his blessings of strength and endurance. Now, before we get into the prayer, and then the songs, I want to leave you with three challenges from the points of the message today. First challenge, when you think of your life, are you trembling or striving to work out your salvation with fear and reverence and trembling for the Lord? Are you doing that? Are you active? Or are you to think crooked and... Secondly, are you blameless and pure in this crooked and warped generation? Are you standing firm for the gospel and shining like stars in our society? Thirdly, are you rejoicing and giving thanks to God God for the brothers and sisters who have victories in the faith? Are you rejoicing and giving thanks to God for your own victories in the faith? It is very easy for us to become stagnant and lazy in our faith. If you are comfortable in your faith where you are, I urge you, push yourselves with these challenges. Be godly men and women who will shine like stars in this world. Now let's pray together and then we'll get into the songs. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we are, we are grateful that you are here with us, Lord, uh, that you continue to teach us and mould us into alignment with your word. We are grateful for the challenges you have given us to work out our salvation.